gentlemen, we are live for Anime Sucker Radio. This is a special Sunday edition of Sucker Radio. Um, not just because last night was UFC 188, but because I have an interview that I had the other day with UFC Fight Night 69 main event fighter Jessica Penne, and that will be coming up in a little bit. But as I said, UFC 188 last night, I was perusing Twitter, and uh, after the main event, when Fabricio Verdum beat Cain Velasquez, there was talk that he was the greatest of all time. Now, and one guy that didn't agree with this so much, and, and sort of he made his opinions known, was talent relations producer for TSN, Aaron Bronstetter, and I have him on right now. Thanks for joining me right now, man. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. And just to preface this, I actually picked Verdum to win yesterday, so I don't have any sort of preconceived bias against Verdum. I like Verdum a lot, but uh, let's dive right in. For sure. Now, l- let's talk that main event. Uh, it seemed like Cain Velasquez came out. He he looked pretty good in the first round, but Verdum was picking him apart in the second and in the third. Just he had his way. Uh, Cain Velasquez looked tired. He looked out of it. Do you think it was the altitude? That altitude's got to be a bitch. Because, I mean, Kane has fought five-round fights before and has looked like he fight another five. And going into the third round, he was huffing and puffing like the big bad wolf. But, I mean, he was completely gassed, and I think that played a massive factor in that fight. And Fabricio, obviously, going down for a full month in Mexico City, training at altitude, made a world of difference. Uh, I mean, Kane's from Mexico, so <laughs> I guess I don't know why he didn't take that into consideration, especially given you know what we've seen in previous cards in Denver. Uh, was I think it was Travis Brown and Rothwell, if I'm not mistaken, where yep. they were just dying going into the third round. So, I mean, you know, Verdum looked pretty fresh. I mean, Verdum has never uh, been like a cardio machine or anything, so it was pretty impressive to see how fresh he looked going into that third round. I know on the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani, Javier Vasquez, Cain Velasquez's coach, said that he wished Cain had come down to Mexico earlier. He had been pushing for him to do that. Why, why do you think that he had it in his head that he could just make it the two weeks before the fight and, and be all in dandy. You know what? Sometimes I think the odds actually have uh, an impact on these fighters. They see that they're a, a six to one favorite or whatever, and they just think that they're going to be all right. And I mean, hey, you could write write the same thing about Verdum back when he fought Junior Dos Santos. He admitted after the fight he just didn't take Dos Santos seriously. Nobody knew much about Dos Santos going into that fight, and he got destroyed by Dos Santos. And Dos Santos, I believe, was a seven to one underdog going into that fight. So. I just think that sometimes people don't take their opponent um, for what they are. And I think for Doom, if you look at him, he hasn't lost a fight in, I think it's four years. Yeah, it's um, on June, As of June 18th, it'll be four years, something along those lines. So, you know, verdum has been a killer lately, and he's he's really made his challengers look bad. And, I mean, Kane, uh, even though Kane wasn't the challenger, is no exception when it comes to this conversation. I think that Verdum made Kane look very human very quickly in that fight. So you think Kane overlooked him a little bit? I do. Absolutely. I mean, Verdum's 37 years old. Unfortunately, the heavyweight division is just filled with old codgers at this point. They don't really have any prospects to speak of in the division. So, you know, I just think that Kane overlooked him. And I think that uh, him not going down to Mexico City earlier uh, is a is a telltale sign that he just did not put as much preparation into this fight and as much consideration into the resume of Verdum as he should have. Do you see that if they do end up making a rematch, which a lot of people are talking about, I don't think it should happen right away personally, but if they do make a rematch, do you see it going down the same way or, or nine times out of ten, Kane beats Fabricio Verdum? 
I think Kane would still have the edge, and I wouldn't be surprised if Kane is like a minus 200, minus 250 favorite if there was a rematch, um, and it wasn't at altitude. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I don't know if you heard the interview that Dana did with Helwani after the fight. He seems to really be keen on the idea of doing more fights in Mexico. It was filled to the brim, according to Dana, not a single ticket available. I don't know how much I buy into that, but, <laughs> uh, you know, 21,800 people, numbers never lie. Uh, you know, it was a packed house. The, the fans were going crazy for every Mexican fighter with the, for some reason, odd exception of, of Trevino, who they didn't seem to care about at all. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the fans were into it. And I think that whenever they have Kane available to fight, they're, they're going to be looking to, to do those fights in Mexico. I don't really blame them. It's a new market. It's a hot market for them. And they seem to fall in love with these new markets that draw fans pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, I'd agree with the fact that you say, you know, Dana said filled to the brim because it did look like it was filled to the brim. It, it In the preliminary portion of the card, which aired on TSN up here in Canada, they did have some shots of the crowd from way up high. Um, it definitely looked like it was full, and, and that was for the preliminary card, which doesn't usually happen for a lot of these UFC shows. Yeah, for Montano versus Pendred, like the the crowd was going wild. They were cheering like crazy for Montano until he kind of flaked out on them. But it, you know, the, the crowd was into it, and I I think it's a you know the crowds in Mexico for boxing historically have been unbelievable. So I think that this has been something the UFC has been after for a while. And if they're going to do cards in Mexico, you know, other than the the you know emergence of Yair Rodriguez yesterday, um, there's not a whole lot of great marketable fighters. Um, that they could put in a main event there. For sure. Now, the whole reason why I said I wanted to have you on was I saw you on Twitter, and and you were talking about the legacy of Fabricio Verdum. He's now beaten Fedor. He's beaten Cain Velasquez, who are arguably two of the greatest of all-time heavyweights. And yes, he beat Big Nog in 2013. Um, You do not agree with the statement greatest of all time right now, correct? I don't. I think you still have to call Cain the greatest of all time because of how dominant Kane has looked and because of when he beat his opponents. I mean, if you look at the Emelianenko win, which is what everybody's pointing to, and I mean, hey, it was within, you know, a minute, a minute and nine seconds into the first round for a guy that has just been an absolute world beater. But the next two fights, he loses to Bigfoot and loses to Dan Henderson. This was not the same Fedor that was, you know, had a legend built on his back. This was a Fedor that was, uh, you know, had been past his prime and... You know, Verdun was still pretty young at the time. I mean, he's 37 now. He was 32 at that point in time. And a lot of people will tell you that that's probably the prime of a, of a fighter is between 29 and 32 in that range. So I think it was just um, he hit lighting in a bottle. And, uh, you know, his fight after he lost his next fight against Overeem in, you know, an absolute snooze fest of a fight, but still a very good fight. And uh, or still still like a, it's still a loss. Um, and, you know, we can talk about the merits of Overeem at that time and whether or not he was he was juiced to the gills. But at the same time, you know, had he beaten Overeem there and had had a win streak that had dated from August of 20, uh, sorry, 2009 until now, that's almost six years straight without a loss with some massive wins. You know, maybe maybe it's in the conversation. But I think that Kane uh, just has a way a way better uh, resume and the fact that he beat Lesnar when Lesnar was the champ and made him made it look really easy. Um, you know, he then beat uh, Junior Dos Santos after losing to him initially. I think he had was it a staph infection going into that fight? He had some sort of ailment. Yeah. Where he lost to Junior the first time, and then he just picked Junior apart in the subsequent fights. Um, so I think that before we we crown Verdum, 
we've got to take a look at the, at the overall body of work. And I mean, sure, you, you look at names like Fedor and, and you look at, at some of the other big names that, uh, that he's beaten. But then you can look at the, the resume of Bigfoot Silva. I mean, Bigfoot Silva has a great resume, too. It doesn't mean he's the best heavyweight of all time. <laughs> Dos Santos has a great resume. You know, resumes are great, but you've, you've got to look at how they won and when they won before you can take into consideration calling someone the greatest heavyweight of all time. Because Kane has been borderline unstoppable. I mean, before that loss to Dos Santos when he was when he was basically ill, he was he was just running through guys and he beat Czech Congo in 09 back when he had uh, you know, was it was very new to the sport. He's just been an absolute killer. So I you know, I don't want to take anything away from Verdum's win. And again, I thought he would win yesterday. But uh, at the same time, I, th- I still think that Kane is the, the best heavyweight that we've ever seen. I would agree with you there. I, I think Verdum is in talks. He, he's, he's definitely leading up there if he can get a few title defenses here. What do you do with Fabricio Verdum next? Who do you think they should put him up against? I think you have to give him Dos Santos. Um, Dos Santos was, uh, was the last guy to beat him other than, uh, than Overeem, I guess, back in the day, if I have my, my, my facts correct. The last guy in the UFC, at least, yep. to beat him. Yep. Um, and, and he was a 7-1 to one underdog going into that fight. Uh, so I think that Dos Santos is, is the guy that should get the next shot. He just beats Stipe, so he's got some good wins under his belt. He keeps beat, getting destroyed by Kane, and the only fear that I have is that Dos Santos beats um, Verdum. They, they put Kane up against him, and then we're <laughs> back to square one. No kidding. And with Kane getting injured all the time, you, know, you don't want to put that division in, in peril. Yeah. All right. Let's move away from that periling division and and move into the co-main event. Eddie Alvarez defeating Gilbert Melendez via split decision. This is a fight that's been in the making for the past five years. Everyone has wanted to see it. Did it play out the way you thought it would? Um, I thought it was a really good fight. I think um, it could have been better. And I think if they do a rematch and it's five rounds because this was an incredibly close fight that uh, it's something I would love to see. I, I really loved watching it just because I think people forget how good these two guys are sometimes. You know, Melendez was a world beater in strike force. It was just running through everybody, and Alvarez was crushing guys. He destroyed Shinya Aoki in Bellator, and Shinya is a top guy at 155. So these are two of the best guys in the world, and uh, it was awesome watching them fight. I, I wish it was five rounds. I would have loved to see how it played out if that was the case. I actually gave the fight to Melendez, and I know I was in the minority there. I, I gave Melendez the second round. So... Um, I would love to see these guys go at it again. Again, I think altitude came into play for Melendez in this one. Would you agree? Maybe. Um, we've seen this happen to Melendez before. He he comes out flying and then takes his foot off the gas a little bit yeah. when he gets comfortable. Um, so I don't know if it was so much an altitude thing or if he just uh, you know thought that he had the fight um, and didn't expect Alvarez to be able to bounce back after that that crazy uh, swollen eye that he gave him and that that big shot that he landed in the first. And, you know, sometimes fighters, when they, they land a shot like that and their guy doesn't go down, they freeze up and think, wow, what else can I hit this guy with? I just hit him with the kitchen sink and he, he stayed up. And I think that that happened with Cormier and Anthony Johnson in, in the first round of their fight when Johnson just leveled Cormier and Cormier came right back at yeah. him. And he was like, wow, <laughs> you know, what else can I do to, to, to get rid of this guy? And I think that that happened um, with Al- Alvarez and Melendez. I think Melendez hit him with his best shot in the first. He saw that Alvarez kept coming at him. He saw that Alvarez was hurt badly and his eye was all swollen. He thought that he just had the fight in hand. And, um, you know, if you heard what, what Nate Diaz said after the fight, he said, well, look, look at what he looked like. But unfortunately, that's not what MMA, you know, is like. And I, that's why I'm kind of a proponent of a, of a half-point system in MMA. Because if, if there was a half-point system, uh, you know, Melendez wins that fight. Melendez, you give the first round 10 to 8 and a yeah. half, 
Yeah. And then you give Alvarez the next two, probably 10 to 9 or 10 to 9.5, because I don't think Alvarez did enough to really dominate Melendez in those last two rounds. I thought they were both pretty close rounds, probably 10 to 9.5 in the second, and then 10 to 9 in the third. But, uh, you know, it seems like I'm the only one who really thinks there should be a different uh, judging system in MMA. Uh, because if you look at the damage done in that fight, you know, Melendez probably wins. That's just not how it works. It's round by round. Exactly. Yeah. The 10 point must system didn't work for that fight. Um, Eddie Alvarez would have been, you know, if he had lost this fight 0-2 inside the octagon, which isn't a very good thing for a guy who's at the caliber of Eddie Alvarez, but you have to look at who he fought. Um, I saw guys on Twitter, you know, there's, there's numerous fights that you could give Eddie Alvarez after this one, but one that made a lot of sense to me and, and would be a very exciting matchup is Dustin Poirier. Who do you have Eddie Alvarez? Um, who would you like to see him up against next? I'd like to see Alvarez Pettis. I think that would be a great fight. Um, but, I, you know, I, I like I like where you're going also. I think that uh, it, would, it would be really good to test Poirier and see how good he really is at 155 because he's looked absolutely awesome. That being said, I think that it's, you know, you don't really want to derail either of those trains right now. It's one of those things where you, you got to be careful about taking a contender out of the mix. Um, you know, obviously that doesn't really work for my, my Pettis and Alvarez analogy. But with, with Poirier, I think you, you want to give him one more fight that's just below the caliber of an Alvarez first to see where he's at. So, um, you know, that's that's just my take on that. Uh, with Alvarez, you're paying him big money, so you just got to keep giving him the big fights. Maybe Kel- a Ben Henderson. Yeah, yeah. Kelvin Gastelum back up to 185, defeats Nate Marquardt, did it handily, making the corner throw in the towel, basically. Gaslam says this will be his last fight at 85, wants to go back down to 70. Dana White does not agree that he is fit for 70. What are your thoughts? I think it's silly that these guys want to cut massive weight. You know, I know Gaslam's only 5'9", and at 185, you know, you're, you're pretty small. And, they, you know, the funny thing is they kind of said the same thing about Hector Lombard. Oh, he's, he's too small for 185 as you cut the 170, and now you've got Gastelum. But they've seen how Gastelum just has, is unable to cut weight. He's just, I, And I think the guys are better at a higher weight class rather than having to cut the weight. I mean, we mentioned Poirier. He's a, a perfect example of that. He's at 155, and he's just destroying guys. Um, you know, I, I always think that that's what fighters should do. And, I, you know, I listened to the Chael Sonnen podcast, and he said the same thing about Kelvin. He, he thinks Kelvin would be better at 185, and he coached Kelvin on the Ultimate Fighter. So, um, you know, I think that Gastelum is a guy that should uh, should stay at 185 and, and shouldn't have to cut so much weight. Earlier this week, he said, you know, he wouldn't be able to beat the likes of Weidman and and whatnot at 185. Were you surprised to hear a fighter actually say this? Because most of the time, fighters are out there saying they'll beat anyone. Because I I remember hearing an interview with Chris Weidman, or with someone that knew Chris Weidman, saying that at one point, Weidman said, heck, I could beat Brock Lesnar. So hearing Gastelum say that he couldn't beat Chris Weidman had me sort of scratching my head. I think he's being realistic. I don't think that he could beat Chris Weidman right now. I think that's that's a good way of looking at it. But does he think that he can beat Rory McDonald? Does he think that he can beat Robbie Lawler? I mean, I, I don't I don't think he can beat either of those guys either. Look yeah. look at the guy's birth certificate. He's twenty three. This guy's got another twelve years in the sport potentially. You know, I think that he's got to figure out what he thinks is best for his career. And I don't think he needs to be talking about fighting champions right now. I mean, he beat a, a really solid opponent in Marquardt. And I think that there's a lot of other guys at 185 that he can challenge himself against before jumping to the conclusion that he, he's not caliber or he's not championship caliber. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of people that can beat Chris Weidman. <laughs> um, so I think we should just wait and see. Keep throwing guys at him and you know see how he does. 
Dana seems dead set against letting him fight at 170 again, you know, based on his conversation with Helwani after the fight. So I think he should stay, stay with it at 185. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't look good against Woodley. I don't think Woodley looked good against him either. Uh, so why not stick with 185? Not have to deplete yourself and see how you do against some of the top guys there before you uh, decide to move, try to move down to 170 again. What else on the UFC 188 fight card uh, tickled your fancy? What what did you get excited for while watching it? Well, the fact that Yair Rodriguez beat Charles Rosa while he had food poisoning is unbelievable because Charles Rosa is a really good opponent. He's a solid prospect in the sport. Um, yesterday on Twitter, I was raving about how I think Yair Rodriguez is the next big star from from Latin America, and uh, I think that he made me look pretty smart after that fight. He he looked <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I'm surprised it was a split decision. I thought that Rodriguez won the first two rounds pretty handily. Um, I think that, you know, there's only a couple guys from Latin America that I'm really excited about. Rodriguez is one of them. And I think that Ray Borg is one of the few guys that could really give Demetrius Johnson a tough time at 125. So, um, you know, I think that they should be doing whatever they can to build those two particular fighters up. Yeah, I had the opportunity to chat with Rodriguez last week prior to the fight. Um, he sounded super humble. Um, very confident in his skills, um, thought that Rosa was overlooking him. And uh, personally, I was picking Rosa in that fight because I, I did think that this guy was the next up-and-comer in that division. But Rodriguez proved that he's not one of those guys that is just another tough international winner. Did you watch all of uh, Tough Latin America? I did not. I, I, okay. I can say Because when that. I was watching it, he was like the guy, in my opinion. Like I was watching them fight and at the end of the season I was like this is the only guy who's really worth a damn from that comes out that's coming out of this show and I mean Alejandro Perez who won in the other division got absolutely smoked by Patrick Williams yesterday um Quinones looked good last week but he was fighting another guy from tough Latin America um and I mean uh, Benitez looked good against Collard uh as well so Benitez looks like he might have a future but in terms of star potential Rodriguez was just smoking guys on that show and was throwing all kinds of crazy stuff at people and looked really good doing it. So I was really high on him coming into the fight yesterday. Um, you know, even though I really like Rosa and when they made that match, I was really surprised because I thought this is a guy that could beat Rodriguez and completely derail that train where they should be building these guys up slowly. But Rodriguez clearly showed he was ready for primetime yesterday. And obviously they thought that by putting him on the main card. No kidding. Now, would you say UFC 188 is one of those pay-per-views that was very, very overlooked. I mean, they've been promoting UFC 189 so much, I almost forgot that UFC 188 was even happening. Yeah, I was saying this to the friend that I was watching with yesterday. It's like, there's a heavyweight championship fight in the UFC and nobody knows it's happening. Um, you know, and that's unfortunate because I thought that, that these two guys are both two of the best in the, in the world. And then you look at Alvarez and Melendez, two of the best at 155, which is probably the most stacked division in the entire sport. Uh, I thought it was woefully overlooked and, and could have been promoted a little bit better. But uh, I thought it ended up being a very good card with the exception of the first fight. I thought Torres versus Hill was a bit of a snooze. But, uh, the, you know, the rest of the main card was really good and really delivered. And the prelims had some really good finishes also. Uh, so I thought it was a really good card. And I really wish that uh, it would have been, um, you know, better better promoted. And I thought that having Sehudo as the, the main eventer on the prelims was, was a good idea too, because this is a guy whose profile you really want to build up. And the prelims tend to get good ratings, especially the, the main event of the prelims. So um, it was good to get his name out there. I think that they're probably going to lean towards giving him the next title shot, even though he said that he doesn't think he's ready for it. The problem is that the division is just too slim. And laughed when he was asked whether he deserved it or not. <laughs> 
yeah, well, not a good look. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a guy that begged to get back down to 125 or to stay at 125 because he kept missing the weight. And he made he's made weight the last two fights. Um, and Camus is a good opponent. I thought Camus actually looked pretty good in the fight. Uh, not as good as Joe Rogan thought he looked. But um, I think Cejudo probably could use one more fight. And, th- and again, I think um, that Ray Borg is a guy that, that people should look out for as another you know, top contender in the division. And obviously Dodson's still in the mix, and that's probably the next fight that they'll make. So I guess we'll see what happens in that division. He is Aaron Bronstetter, talent relations producer for TSN. Man, thanks for joining me. Um, Just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Anything that you've got going on, the floor is yours. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, on Twitter, at Airbron, A-A-R-B-R-O-N. So uh, follow me. I'm tweeting about MMA all the time. Uh, and, you know, I'm also tweeting about guests that we have at TSN. My role at TSN is to bring guests to the building and, and have them do a bunch of interviews uh, to promote whatever they're promoting or, or just talk about the world of sports. So, uh, you know, I'm always posting uh, about the different people that we have at TSN. And, we, you know, we're starting to get a lot more UFC fighters into the building. We had Stipe here this week. So, you know, I'm a big champion of the sport. I hope that, uh, that you know, we keep, you know, plugging away at the UFC. We're, we're showing the ultimate fighter and all of the different prelims and, and the main cards for the, the televised fights. So, you know, I'm really proud to be part of TSN uh, with the partnership that we have with the UFC and uh, excited about the future of the sport in this country. Where do you see that going? I, I know I said I was going to end right there, but where do you see this going for TSN? Do you think that they will get original programming by any means for the UFC? Like, you know how Fox Sports 1 has UFC tonight. Will we ever see anything like that on TSN? I'm not sure if TSN needs it, to be honest. I think that with Fight Pass in the mix now, people that love the sport are almost have too much content to consume. But we're starting to see a lot of different uh, UFC programming on, on the station on a week-to-week basis. I'm hoping that people are noticing it. Um, you know, we've got UFC Wired and all of the different UFC original programming, UFC Unleashed. Um, you know, and we've also got uh, The Ultimate Fighter. So, uh, you know, I think that, that TSN really is committed to the future of the sport. Um, you know, the ratings, I, I believe, have been very good. If you look at the ratings reports that Chris Zelkovich posts on a weekly basis, uh, the ratings in the UFC have been pretty solid. So, you know, they've been on, on par with the NBA Finals at times. So I think it's a good sign. And I think that, uh, you know, in terms of original programming for the UFC at TSN, I, I guess we'll just see what the future holds. I'm not on the programming side, so I, I can't really comment on yeah, that with yeah. any sort of any sort of uh, conviction because I don't really know what the story is there. So, I mean, I'm hoping so. I, you know, I love the sport. Um, and, I, you know, I think TSN is is the sports leader in this country. Uh, you know, I'm not really getting paid to say that or anything. <laughs> I guess I guess I sort of am getting paid to say it, but I, I do believe it with all my heart. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to see that the UFC is on board here at TSN and that we're, we're committed to the future of the sport. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Hopefully we uh, can get you back on to chat soon. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate being on. Joining me now is the former Invicta Atomweight champion and current title challenger, for the UFC strawweight belt, uh, please welcome Jessica Penne to Sucker Radio. Jessica, thanks for stopping by. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Now, you were pulled from your initial bout against Juliana Lima to face Joanna young Jacek in the main event at UFC Fight Night 69. How'd you find out about the change, and what was the reaction when you heard about it? Um, I was called by Sean Shelby while I was having lunch with some of my Lions teammates. And, um, I, I don't know, I was kind of caught off guard because, um, <laughs> I was winding down in camp to, you know, go to Brazil and he called me and told me what was happening. And I, I couldn't be like 
really excited about because I was just kind of in shock. It really didn't set in until like two days later when, um, you know, they, they announced it on the internet and then it started sinking in that, you know, I'm getting a title shot and, you know, the excitement really started kicking in then. For sure. Now let's talk your last fight prior to this upcoming one. Did the fight with Randa Marcos go as planned or, or was it tougher than you had expected? Um, you know, I know that she's a tough girl coming in there. Um, I, I definitely could have done a lot better, but, um, I don't know, coming out of that tough house, I was, I was a little bit, uh, stressed out and kind of unmotivated to train. So, um, I, I definitely should have done a lot better against her. I, I should have finished her, but, um, I'm definitely not upset about, you know, winning side of the night and, winning my USC debut. Go back to that a little bit. You said a little bit stressed out, a little bit uh, unmotivated to fight. Was it something that you regret doing? Um, no, not at all. But it was just kind of a whirlwind. I mean, seven weeks in the house, right from there, you know, we're, we're off to, you know, promote it. And then we get into fight camp. So there was just really no, no downtime, no time to decompress. It was, it was a pretty hard process for me, honestly. Um, I, I like to be alone <laughs> and, um, <laughs> having the cameras on you 24 seven was, was a bit stressful. For sure. Now, Randa was a bit of an outcast in the tough house. You had no problem showing that in some of the clips on the show. Do you have more respect for her now that you've fought her or are you feeling still the same? Um, I actually don't know. I didn't show that at all. I, I kept my distance from her. She was, um, to herself and I'm pretty to myself so I I really wasn't um outwardly rude to her or anything like that okay <laughs> fair enough did you ever think that that a close I mean you said in the initial question that I had for you that um you were in shock when you found out about the title shot um did you ever think that a close victory and a unanimous decision there um like that one would earn you a title shot um, I really don't think it was a split decision. I think it should have been unanimous, but yeah. you never know what the judges are looking at. Um, I definitely thought I, I decisively won that fight. Um, I thought that I was going to be lined up for a title shot after my win over Juliana in Brazil. Fair enough. All right, let's talk Joanna. She seemed to get into Carla Esparza's head prior to their <laughs> bout. I saw an article where you said that that's what ultimately beat the former champ. Um, were you surprised that she was able to get in her head the way she did? Um, I can't say if I was surprised or not, but I just I think that that's what happened. You don't think it won't happen to you, correct? No, I don't play that kind of game. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Joanna as a fighter and as a champion? Um, I definitely think she's a tough fighter, and I think, you know, she's she's earned that spot um, as champion, but I definitely feel like I have more tools than she does, and um, I'm a lot more well-rounded, so I'm looking to use all of my tools in this fight. What about as a person and, and the way she's promoting herself being the champion? Um, I, I really don't know her. <laughs> um, I, I can't see either way. Um, I, I don't really know how she's promoting herself either. This bout will go down in uh, Germany with Young Jacek being European. Do you feel that she'll have the entire crowd behind her? And, and does something like that, would, do you think that would get to you? Um, she could very well have the whole crowd uh, you know, behind her if she is European and 
Um, I'm more than happy to go into enemy territory. I've done it before, and I think it's I think it's a fun experience. I think it makes for a more exciting fight. This will be your first fight um, fighting outside of the United States, correct? No, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I fought in Japan before. Okay, fair enough. How did that? How did that fight go? And and do you? Uh, what's it going to be like traveling to Berlin? I mean, uh, sort of culture shock, uh, the time difference. Does any of that stuff get to you, or how far in advance do you have to go out in order to be um, climatized? Um, I'm going out a week in advance, so I'll have plenty of time to acclimate. So um, I, I am aware that you know there is such thing as uh, jet lag. So I'm I'm taking all precautions for that, and you know, uh, making sure that it won't be a factor in the fight. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to going to Berlin. I've always wanted to go to Europe, and um, it's great that I get to to travel and, and fight at the same time. It's great. Will you be able to do any uh, traveling following the fight, or are you heading straight back home? No, I like to go home after I fight. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Now, no one, no one picked Joanna against Carla. Well, really, no one picked her. In fact, it was a pretty big upset, utter domination in that fight. I know you're very confident in your skills. How do you see yourself becoming the victor in this matchup? Um, I'm prepared to take the fight wherever it goes. I know that I have great striking, I have great grappling, and I'm looking to use all of my tools in the fight. You, uh, you started out your career... Um, at strawweight, made the move down to 105 pounds. To get to the UFC, you had to move back up to 115. Um, with the four fights you've had, which include the Tough House, um, has the weight made any difference for you? I mean, do you, do you notice much of a change from the 105-pound weight class? I'm, I'm definitely um, a lot happier at 115 pounds. Um, one... 105, although I was, you know, very dominant that weight class and um, I did very well, um, my body really wasn't very happy. So um, I knew it would be a big leap to go, you know, up 10 pounds to the next weight class. But I was, you know, I was up to the challenge and I knew that going into the tough house, it would be a great way to kind of experience the weight class and see what the girls have to offer. And realize that the girls are, you know, much stronger and more explosive at this weight class. But I've been working very diligently to put on muscle mass and I've been doing a great job at it. So I'm still going into the weight class, but I'm very excited about this class and I think I'm going to do very well at it. Finally, I know at the weigh-ins, Joanna gave Carla a cookie for obvious reasons. What do you think (laughs) she'll do at the weigh-ins? Do you think she'll have any shenanigans for you? I'm really not thinking about that. <laughs> she is Jessica Penne. She'll take on Joanna Young Jaychik. UFC Fight Night 69, June 20th at the O2 World Arena in Berlin, Germany. Jessica, just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under my full name, Jessica Penne. Well, there you have it. Another edition of Sucker Radio, a special edition of Sucker Radio on a Sunday afternoon. Um, thank you for listening. It was a fun one. Thank you to Aaron Bronstetter from TSN. Thank you to Jessica Penne, and good luck to her at UFC Fight Night 69 next weekend. Uh, as always, check out MMA Sucka on Facebook, facebook.com slash MMA Sucka on Twitter, at MMA Sucka. You can follow myself on Twitter, at JeremyBrand604. I'd like to thank Float House. 
If you don't know what isolation tanks are, check out floathouse.ca. And if you're in the lower mainland area, they've got three great locations for you to check out. As always, proambelts.com. If you need a championship belt, if you are a promoter, if you are an organizer, heck, if you are a guy who has an awesome man cave, check out proambelts.com for your championship belt needs. With that, check out the show on Thursday, and I'm out. I've learned to manage it, analyst analysis, study the sport in every point because I'm passionate. I play the advocate and sometimes the antagonist, building up the hype before a fight that's ain't by accident. In the world of mixed martial arts, I'm the evangelist spreading the news of MMA, the number one candidate. Calibrate levels of greatness, that's when we collaborate. Mikey Rock and Jeremy Brandis, we reactivate. Brand creates the show for the fans, and it's magnanimous. Jury's out decision, and yes, it's unanimous. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Out.